Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's It means something. It means You know, that's my take on it. Like, what's yours? Protonic Reversal! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only... Protonic Reversal. Uh, welcome to it. We have a returning guest. It's been a while, man. 123 episodes, if you want to be uh, specific, and uh, I do. I'm known for my spe- specificity. Yes, specificity is the word. Uh, please, everyone, welcome back uh, Mr. Phil Manley of Trans Am. Thank you. Good to be back. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm often fond of saying that you know you talk to some don't talk to someone for a while that you know civilizations have risen and fell since then i feel like civilizations have risen and fell in the past month and a half so uh when it comes time to things being different than they than they used to ought to be uh i think we're kind of in overdrive here i I guess the best question i have for you right now is uh, how are you how are you dealing with uh you know this everything global pandemic quarantine uh uprisings etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a lot to handle man uh yeah it is um i'm doing pretty well all things considered i feel very lucky um you know i still have my job working at kqed um as a broadcast engineer the mighty KQED. <laughs> yeah, it's a public TV radio station in San Francisco. They do good um, work. I still have I still have my studio in San Francisco. Um, although we're closed temporarily, we're making um, taking steps to reopen. But um, that's called L Studio. I think you were just getting like the website together when last we talked, right. if I remember correctly, it was like, yeah, real, so it was real, probably real like real six on. years yeah. ago, five yeah, years yeah. ago. Like you would, it was, it um, was, it was, it was emerging from the birthing canal as, as studios. Right. Did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a very dramatic um, <laughs> image. A little overly <laughs> dramatic perhaps, but yeah, I'll stand by it. Um, yeah. So, so that's been another thing. Um, we're trying to, uh, grade and repair our HVAC system at the studio. So it would be safe to record there. But now even in like, since we decided we were going to do this, which was like two or three weeks ago, now I'm having second thoughts about reopening given what's happened lately Yeah, or what's happening lately. It's still happening. So, I mean, it's also touch and go. It's like you, it's hard to plan for anything right now. Well, and it seems like things change on an almost hourly basis, right? I mean, yeah. I, I was even uh, talking about, 
you know, again, what seemed like years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, when it came to him, like canceling tour dates, it, it seems like you, things just change hour by hour. And, and like, I was like, I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, that's, that'll change at least. So like, we'll know where we're at. And it's like, no, it's actually worse <laughs> somehow. So that's exciting. Yeah. My friend who's a booking agent, she's like, yeah, all I do is like push tours into the future, like indefinitely. You know, like they'll be like, okay, well, this is going to happen next year. Maybe. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Hopefully that's, that's the, uh, we can live in hope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's no, no way to plan for it. Not right now. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if there's anything that's that's like a, I don't know, not saving grace necessarily, but if there's anything with it that is, can be some small modicum of comfort, is that everybody's in the same boat, right? You know, everybody's yeah. dealing with the same complete sense of like resting state of anxiety and uncertainty, and um, you know, there, there's no <laughs> nobody's got like one up on anybody else when it comes time to this stuff. I guess, I guess, unless someone's already had it. Yeah, exactly. Unless you have the uh, the much vaunted immunity, in which case, you know, who knows what that's even going to mean uh, as it as it mutates and it moves on. Uh, yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I don't want to just. I mean, this isn't like you know the CDC podcast. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to like <laughs> dwell too much on this, but I feel like it's disingenuous not to bring it up. And and one thing that's been so interesting about doing so many of these during quarantine. Is, is just kind of getting a handle for how folks are dealing with it, especially folks that sit yourself yeah. with studios. I mean, for me, it kind of became I'm, real. It was like, oh, electrical audio is closed. Oh, Jesus. Okay. It's like, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even, I feel even luckier still because not only do I have a studio in San Francisco and I still have my job, but I also have a home studio in my house, in my house in Oakland. Yeah. And, um, it's, it doubles as my home office. Um, so when I'm working from home, I have a, I have a place away from my children. So I don't have to work like in the living room or in the bedroom or something. Right. Right. <laughs> so that it's kind of an oasis. And, and that's, I've really like spent a lot of time in this little, it's like a cottage behind our, our house. But recently someone put rat poison out in our neighborhood and. Ooh. Some rat has crawled under our this this cottage and died, so it smells like death in my in my home studio now. It's that's so not conducive awful. to creativity at all. Like <laughs> no, no, I've been trying to burn a candle or incense. It's just like oh man, then it just smells like death with a candle. Like, <laughs> it's it's gross, so gross. I have to open the window. It's like death with a hint of French vanilla. <laughs> yeah, or or like, yeah, Nog Champa death. <laughs> Nog Champa, which hey man, depending on your feelings in Nog Champa, those might be a one and the same, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, that, that's a bummer, but but it is. I mean, having like the dedicated space to do the thing, though. I mean that that is that's such a. It, it, it's you know the only thing I can think of is like you know when they say it's a, something's a mitzvah, right? It's like oh, that's such a nice thing to have. Um, oh yeah, I feel really lucky. So definitely, I mean, so what do you think? Do you think everyone's just going to be like making, like writing songs and like preparing records and stuff, and there's just going to be this glut of records while at the same time all these bands are trying to like 
redo these tour dates that are like consolidated into like <laughs> like one three month period? Like, what's what do you think the end of this is is going to be? Okay, that's that's a really good question. And um, when all of this started, I had a lot of momentum. Like, I was like, dude, I'm going to write my COVID record, and I'm just like got my studio my home studio really like dialed in and i was i was trying to do like not write a song a day but like get into a rhythm and and um i was making music more regularly than i had in in a long time at least as a solo thing at home and then i think as time wore on um it just kind of faded away as as the reality of like this isn't going to end anytime soon, right? Like, and yeah, th- this um, isn't like a pause for creativity. This is like a pause in in like literally everything that we know, and that's yeah, yeah. That so it's different. Yeah, it has my my creativity then has has slowed down, but um, I have taken on a couple projects, um, mixing some bands. Um, you know, where they, they've had records that have been in progress and then they finally finished them and then they were like, well, I need to mix them. Right. And that's really, so, that's something easy I can do at home. And Right um, or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and then also um, I play in another band now called Terry Gross. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up. I was definitely going to bring it up on my own because first of all i think it's a fantastic band name uh secondly i'm stoked that you're playing with phil becker because he's an amazing dude and an, an incredible drummer as well oh yeah he's he said to say hello he said he's an old friend of yours i love phil becker to death uh played mm-hmm. many a show with that guy back in the day uh remarkable yeah, talent yeah. on multiple levels yes i i agree phil is a real gem uh, we, okay. And, anyway, and, uh, so, my so, friend. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean so to Phil, break up. Okay, quote, so yeah. Phil Becker <laughs> plays drums in Terry Gross, and um, our friend Donnie, who's also the co-studio owner with me, he's the bass player, and um, Donnie and I both sing. Um, anyway, we've been we've been working on a record for a really long time, and it's finally finished, and we're finally going to put it out. And that's nice. that's been something that we've been working on the details of through all this um thrill jockey is going to put it out and i think it's coming out in november that's lovely news that that's not only lovely news is breaking news which is doubly lovely because that means the show is yes yeah, so that's the first announce public announcement right there breaking news yeah uh <laughs> no that that's awesome because i i uh i haven't got to see you guys play obviously because i don't live in the bay area anymore but uh, yeah you moved what gives when did you leave but <laughs> uh, just about three years ago, uh, just a sh- oh, sheer wow, cost of living ago. thing. Yeah, I mean, well, right, sure. the internet kind of makes it seem like everyone is constantly hanging out in the same <laughs> Zoom chat anyway, right? right. So, <laughs> especially lately. <laughs> but yeah, and a lot of people, you know, it, it's 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 not like I'm put out a press release about it or anything necessarily. But uh, that said, the idea with that was just a uh, cost of living. <clears throat> yeah. So where do you live now? Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Which oh, cool. That's been interesting because I've been in the position of being the uh, Wisconsin ambassador to my friends in California, but then also having to deal with the actual nonsense that's going on. Like people just, hey, we wish the pandemic away. Cool. Let's just do everything as if we norm. You know, nothing's going on. It's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Like it's this. There's still a <laughs> pandemic going on, guys. Like it's it's wow. 
didn't wish it away. Uh, sorry, sorry to be the one breaking to you. And then, oh, guess so what? So are Cases bars are open in, in Milwaukee? So, so some are. Basically, uh, basically, bars are allowed to open at reduced capacity. And, um, right. So I would put it this way. Just as if the response, since there's no real coordinated federalized response, that everything is kind of just left up to the states. And depending right, on what course. state you live in depends on what the reaction is. I would say it's actually the same thing with businesses, that depending on how socially responsible the business is or maybe the political leanings of the business, because somehow this has been politicized, uh, right. depends on how they react. So some of them are like, woohoo, open for business, let's go. You know, some are doing like takeout service only, you know, things along right. those lines. Uh, it's, I mean, I get it. I, I really do get it because you want to be in a situation where, hey, it'd be cool if our business didn't close and we could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's got to make a living. I understand that. But. Uh, but by the same token, like if you're if like they say there's that um, kind of hierarchy of, of risk, right, the, that, mm-hmm. they, that they have for what the different activities are and what they do. And like going to a bar is like the like the highest one. Yeah, they've that's come out especially recently. There's like I read something yesterday about that, and bars are the main point of transmission in a lot of places. Yeah. So that's frustrating, and that that's a cultural difference. And as much as you know, I, I like. And there's a big drinking culture in Wisconsin. Oh, it's like it's like the primary. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, it's like the primary I mean, it's social like Ger- activity. German culture translated into American culture. Yeah. Somehow. Like shows happen, you know. It's like, hey, I'm gonna go hang out and get wasted with my friends, and also this rad band is playing, you know. Like, mm-hmm. that's, and so that that's a that's an adjustment to be. Sure. I've had many good shows in at the Unicorn in um, in Milwaukee. It's a, I mean, it's a cool. Oh, no, sp- not the. Is it the Unicorn? You think Cactus maybe? Uh, no, Cactus Club. Cactus Club. Cactus yeah. Club. You think Unicorn is uh, Atlanta? No. Um, I I don't know what I made up the Unicorn. But yeah, the Cactus Club, that that place is so rad. And we played there like great, maybe great when they first opened. Yeah, cuz it's been around for uh it's been around for a long time. It's I mean, I I used to I uh used to go and play there on tour like years back. Like it's 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 it's, it's like a bottom of the hill kind of situation where it's just been around for a really long time. Oh, speaking of playing years back, um a friend gave me an old poster from a show that we played together oh was that uh the great american musical yes that's a cool poster it's a really cool poster it's trans am with minus the bear and tussle and belligerator you're thinking belligerator, different sorry. yeah yeah that's that was a that was a great time man um yeah yes, i have that yes. one I, I do. I have that one somewhere. That's an Urban Inks joint, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's uh, like it's like on on uh, like brown. Yeah. Paper and it has a really cool graphic. I think I used to have that on on the uh, office slash studio door when you and Seb came in last time, if I remember correctly. I, mm-hmm. I might be, I might be misremembering that, but uh, yeah, th- those are yeah, cool. Yeah, it was it was a real blast from the past, and I was like, oh, that's so funny. I gotta I gotta tell Conan about this. Yeah, um, that was a good show too. That was that was that was uh, that was a good show. Was a good time. Great American Music Hall is always a blast. I love that place. I mean, and, and it's I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to harp too much on on the whole like. Is everything going to be around? You know, even in the fall or beyond. Slims, but, Slims closed. Slims is gone, man. That blows my I mean, mind. 
that's that's a really old venue too. I mean, I don't think it has the same historic. I don't. It's not. It's not as old a venue as Great American Music Hall, but it was the same ownership. Yeah, I mean, Don Don Holiday uh, was still. In, I mean, it, it's one of those things where. God, I mean, I saw like Melvin's and Helmet there, like in like you know ninety seven or something along those lines. Wow, and, that was been a great show. Yeah, and so so many. You know, I saw Mud Honey there. Actually, crap, that's how I when I met Chris from Replicator the first time. It was at a Mud Honey show at Slim's. The Cosmic Psychos played too. Wow, cool. Uh, and so it's just weird. It's weird to think that it's gone. And I know. I, what weird. the fuck is are they going to put in there? It's probably going to sit boarded up for <laughs> yeah, so it's just long. Gonna, it's just going to sit. It's going to sit around. And well, did you see that whole? Uh, there was the. There was that whole thing that happened with the uh, the revelations that was it the Panama Papers that, that I'm thinking of that they leaked a bunch of documentation, uh, financial documentation that basically showed that a bunch of people were laundering money by buying up property, like expensive property, specifically property in the Bay Area and things along those lines. I think it's... Oh, wow. Property. No. Uh, it's pretty wild. Like, it's it's not... I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's the hook for me, necess- you know, but it, it's sort of like uh, there are all these offshore entities, you know, the whole LLC shell game, all that. But the idea sure. being that, you know, a lot of people had tried to kind of divine, oh, why did Bay- why does Bay Area property never go down like go even, down in value yeah even like during the first tech crash it didn't go down like second tech crash it didn't go down and it just never went down they turned out like oh a bunch of people were like like oligarchs and stuff were like laundering money and they're laundering right, right. money by like you know investing in property and so then that doesn't surprise me at all no and unfortunately it, it makes sense but and and you know actually this is interesting you bring up a, a good point here phil becker he he's been telling me that he's He's at least been like browsing the real estate market and for rental properties, rental property val- uh, rates are going down. Right. In San Francisco, which is the first time like, in my lifetime. How long? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like he's like, notice it's, it's noticeable from week to week. He says he'll see properties listed at one price and then the next week they're still there, but they're a little bit lower. And then yeah. the next week, a little bit lower. God, that's so, it's so, it's so, so weird it's, how that works. Yeah, I mean, and people. This is happening everywhere, not just in San Francisco. People are leaving the cities and moving to the to live with their parents, like young people. Yeah, who had who had jobs, maybe tech jobs, or because people are working from home now, they don't need to live in expensive apartments. <laughs> right. The whole thing about right? needing to like live in the Bay Area if your job is in the Bay Area is kind of becomes less relevant if everyone's working remotely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, and that, and that was kind of my, you know, my deal day job wise with moving in the first place. It's like, oh, well, what I do for my day job, I can do from wherever. So it's kind of like living somewhere where there's a lower cost of living um, really gains an appeal. Doubly so if you can like sort of easily tour <laughs> from it. Because the Midwest is so much easier to tour than, I mean, I love the Bay Area dearly, but it's like. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's, it, you're, it's, it's isolated. It is. Yeah. In a strange way. Yeah, I mean, not, growing not, I up on the East Coast, and when DC is probably the the one of the best locations for touring. Yeah, because you have the whole Northeast corridor. That's like, you know, the to drive to Boston would take you 
six to eight hours, depending on traffic. Right. Drive to Chicago in the same, maybe eight hours. And then all the cities in between, you'd hit Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. and Cleveland. Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, Philly is on the way up to Boston, yeah. but then and then you go south. You got, and you go you to got a research Hill, triangle you know, down Chapel Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go, you go Raleigh, Chapel Hill, uh, Atlanta, and then you. If, and then if we, Trans Am would always play in Florida because we just had a fan. We just did it. I don't know. We were like, why not? We go to the beach during the day and we'll play shows at night. Yeah, and and um, we developed a fan base down there. And we would go every, every, we would do like tours of the South, like specifically. And we would always include Florida. And it, I love playing down there. And I think a lot of people, a lot of bands skip it. And that's, so people are starved for music down there. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, it's just out of the way enough that you kind of have to like want to put in the effort to get to it. It's almost like, um, like the upper peninsula of Michigan or something, right. In the right, same way right. that like you, you have to like make an effort to do it. And, and my old co-host Brenna Betts was from Florida and she always used right. to one up that and say that, you know, it always was a big deal when a band came down because of that. And, and so, right. yeah, I think you're right. There, there's something where you can kind of, uh, get yourself a, very enthused base fairly fairly next year maybe right. <laughs> <You know. laughs> hopefully that's that's the uh we can live in hope yeah. right <laughs> there's no no way to plan for it not right now yeah and, and i mean i guess if there's anything that's that's like a i don't know not saving grace necessarily but if there's anything with it that is can be some small modicum of comfort is that everybody's in the same boat right you know everybody's yeah. dealing with the same complete sense of like resting state of anxiety and uncertainty and um you know there there's no <laughs> nobody's got like one up on anybody else when it comes time to this stuff i guess i guess unless someone's already had it yeah exactly unless you have the uh, the much vaunted immunity in which case you know who knows what that's even going to mean uh, as it as it mutates and it moves on uh yeah and, that's and, true I, I don't want to just, I mean, this isn't like, you know, the CDC podcast. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to like <laughs> dwell too much on this, but I feel like it's disingenuous not to bring it up. And and one thing that's been so interesting about doing so many of these during quarantine is, is just kind of getting a handle for how folks are dealing with it, especially folks that sit yourself yeah. with studios. I mean, for me, it kind of became I'm, real. It was like, oh, electrical audio is closed. Oh, Jesus. Okay. It's like, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even, I feel even luckier still because, not only do I have a studio in San Francisco and I still have my job, but I also have a home studio in my house, in my house in Oakland. Yeah. And, um, it's, it doubles as my home office. Um, so when I'm working from home, I have a, I have a place away from my children. So I don't have to work like in the living room or in the bedroom or something. Right. Right. (laughs) So that it's kind of an oasis. And, and that's, I've, really like spend a lot of time in this little, it's like a cottage behind our, our house. But recently someone put rat poison out in our neighborhood and some rat has crawled under our, this, this cottage and died. So it smells like death (laughs) in my, 
in my home studio now. It's that's so not conducive awful. to creativity at all. Like, <laughs> oh no, no, I've been trying to burn a candle or incense, and just like, oh man, then it just smells like death with a candle. <laughs> it's it's. It's gross. So gross. I have to open the window. It's like death with a hint of French vanilla. Yeah. Or or like, yeah, Nog Champa death. <laughs> Nog Champa death. Which, hey, man, depending on your feelings in Nog Champa, those might be a one and the same, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, that, that's a bummer. But, but it is, I mean, having like the dedicated space to do the thing, though, I mean, that that is, that's such a... It, it, it's you know the only thing I can think of is like you know when they say it's a, something's a mitzvah right it's like oh that's such a nice thing to have um, oh yeah I feel really lucky so definitely I mean so what do you think do you think everyone's just going to be like making like writing songs and like preparing records and stuff and there's just going to be this glut of records while at the same time all these bands are trying to like redo these tour dates that are like consolidated into like like one three month period like what's what do you think the end of this is, is gonna be okay that's that's a really good question and um when all of this started i had a lot of momentum like i was like dude i'm gonna write my covid record and i'm just like got my studio my home studio really like dialed in and i was i was trying to do like not write a song a day but like get into a rhythm and, and um, I was making music more regularly than I had in, in a long time, at least as a solo thing at home. And then I think as time wore on, um, it just kind of faded away as, as the reality of like, this isn't going to end anytime soon. Right. Like, and yeah, this um, isn't like a pause for creativity. This is like a pause in, in like literally everything that we know. And that's, yeah. Yeah. That so it's different. Yeah. It has my, my creativity then has, has slowed down, but um, I have taken on a couple projects, um, mixing some bands, um, you know, where they, they've had records that have been in progress and then they finally finished them. And then they were like, well, I need to mix them. Right, and that's really so, that's something easy I can do at home, and right um, or not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, and and then also um, I play in another band now called Terry Gross. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. I was definitely going to bring it up on my own because first of all, I think it's a fantastic band name. Uh, secondly, I'm stoked that you're playing with Phil Becker because he's an amazing dude and an, an incredible drummer as well. Oh yeah. He's, he said to say hello. He said he's an old friend of yours. I love Phil Becker to death. Uh, played mm-hmm. many a show with that guy back in the day. Uh, remarkable yeah, talent yeah. on multiple levels. Yes, I, I agree. Phil's a real gem. Didn't mean so to Phil, up okay. Quote, so yeah. Phil Becker <laughs> plays drums and Terry Gross. And um, our friend Donnie, who's also the co-studio owner with me, he's the bass player. And um, Donnie and I both sing. Um, anyway, we've been we've been working on a record for a really long time, and it's finally finished, and we're finally going to put it out. And that's nice. that's been something that we've been working on the details of through all this. Um, Thrill Jockey is going to put it out, and I think it's coming out in November. That's lovely news. That that's not only lovely news is breaking news, which is doubly lovely because that means the show is. Yes, yeah, so that's the first announce public announcement right there. Breaking news. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that that's awesome because I I uh, I 
haven't got to see you guys play, obviously, because I don't live in the Bay Area anymore. But uh, Yeah, you moved. What gives? When did you leave? <laughs> uh, uh, just about three years ago. Uh, just a sh- oh, sheer wow, cost of living ago. thing. Yeah, I mean, well, right, sure. the internet kind of makes it seem like everyone's just constantly hanging out in the same <laughs> Zoom chat anyway right, right. so <laughs> especially lately <laughs> but yeah and a lot of people you know it, it's 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 not like i'm put out a press release about it or anything necessarily but uh that said the idea with that was just a uh, cost of living <clears throat> yeah. so where do you live now milwaukee milwaukee wisconsin which oh cool that's been interesting because I've been in the position of being the uh, Wisconsin ambassador to my friends in California, but then also having to deal with the actual nonsense that's going on. Like people just, Hey, we wish the pandemic away. Cool. Let's just do everything as if we norm, you know, nothing's going on. It's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Like it's this, there's still a pandemic going on guys. Like it's, it's wow. didn't wish it away. Uh, sorry, sorry to be the one break it to you. And then, Oh, guess so what? Our Cases bars are open in in Milwaukee, so so some are basically uh, basically bars are allowed to open at reduced capacity, and um, right. So j- I would put it this way: just as if the response, since there's no real coordinated federalized response, that everything is kind of just left up to the states, and depending right, on what course. state you live in depends on what the reaction is. I would say it's actually the same thing with businesses that depending on how socially responsible the business is, or maybe the political leanings of the business, because somehow this has been politicized, uh, right. depends on how they react. So some of them are like, woohoo, open for business. Let's go. You know, some are doing like takeout service only, you know, things along right. those lines. Uh, it's, I mean, I get it. I, I really do get it because you want to be in a situation where, hey, it'd be cool if our business didn't close and we could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's got to make a living. I understand that. But. Uh, but by the same token, like if you're if like they say there's that um, kind of hierarchy of, of risk, right, that, that, mm-hmm. they, that they have for what the different activities are and what they do. And like going to a bar is like the like the highest one. Yeah, they've that's come out especially recently. There's like I read something yesterday about that, and bars are the main point of transmission in a lot of places. Yeah. So that's frustrating, and that that's a cultural difference. And as much as you know, I, I like. And there's a big drinking culture in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's like it's like the primary. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, it's like the primary I mean, it's social like Ger- activity. German culture translated into American culture. Yeah. Somehow. Like shows happen, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to go hang out and get wasted with my friends. And also this rad band is playing, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, and so that, that's a, that's an adjustment to be sure. I've had many good shows in, at the unicorn in, um, in Milwaukee. It's a, I mean, it's a cool. Oh, no, sp- not the, is it the unicorn? You think cactus maybe? Uh, no, cactus club. Cactus club. Cactus yeah. club. You think unicorn is, uh, Atlanta? No. Um, I, I don't know what I made up the unicorn. But yeah, the Cactus Club, that that place is so rad. And we played there like great, maybe great when they first opened. Yeah, cuz it's been around for uh it's been around for a long time. It's I mean, I I used to I uh used to go and play there on tour like years back. Like it's 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 it's, it's like a bottom of the hill kind of situation where it's just been around for a really long time. Oh, speaking of playing years back, um a friend gave me an old poster from a show that we played together oh was that uh the great american musical yes that's a cool poster 
It's a really cool poster. It's Trans Am with Minus the Bear and Tussle and Belligerator. And uh, Replicator. You're thinking Replicator, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, was a gr- that was a great time, man. Um, yeah, yes, I have that yes. one. I, I do. I have that one somewhere. That's an Urban Inks joint, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's uh, like it's like on on uh, like brown. Yeah. Paper and it has a really cool graphic. I think I used to have that on on the uh, office slash studio door when you and Seb came in last time, if I remember correctly. I, mm-hmm. I might be, I might be misremembering that, but uh, yeah, th- those are yeah, cool. It was, it was a real blast from the past, and I was like, oh, that's so funny. I got to I got to tell Conan about this. Yeah, um, that was a good show too. That was that was that was. Uh, that was a good show. Was a good time. Great American Music Hall is always a blast. I love that place. I mean, and, and it's I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to harp too much on on the whole like. Is everything going to be around? You know, even in the fall or beyond. Slims. But Slims closed. Slims is gone, man. That blows my I mean, mind. That's that's a really old venue too. I mean, I don't think it has the same historic. I don't, it's not it's not as old a venue as Great American Music Hall, but it was the same ownership. Yeah, I mean Don Don Holiday uh, was still. In, I mean, it, it's one of those things where. God, I mean, I saw like Melvin's and Helmet there, like in like you know ninety seven or something along those lines. Wow, that must have been a great show. Yeah, and so so many. You know, I saw Mud Honey there. Actually, crap, that's how I when I met Chris from Replicator the first time. It was at a Mud Honey show at Slim's. The Cosmic Psychos played too. Wow, cool. Uh, and so it's just weird. It's weird to think that it's gone. And I know. It's I, what weird. the fuck is are they going to put in there? It's probably going to sit boarded up for yeah, so it's just, long. It's just going to sit. It's going to sit around. And well, did you see that whole? Uh, there was the. There was that whole thing that happened with the uh, the revelations that was it the Panama Papers that, that I'm thinking of that they leaked a bunch of documentation, uh, financial documentation that basically showed that a bunch of people were laundering money by buying up property like expensive property specifically property in the bay area and things along those lines i think it's oh wow no uh it's pretty wild like it's it's not i mean that's that's <laughs> that's the hook for me necess- you know but it, it's sort of like uh there are all these offshore entities you know the whole llc shell game all that but the idea sure. being that you know a lot of people had tried to kind of divine oh why did bay- why does bay area property never go down like down in value yeah even like the first tech crash didn't go down like second tech crash it didn't go down and it never went down that turned out like oh a bunch of people were like like oligarchs and stuff were like laundering money and they're laundering money by like you know investing in property and so then that doesn't surprise me at all no and it unfortunately makes sense but and and you know actually this is interesting you bring up a, a good point here phil becker is looking to move Actually, I might not. You might want to edit that out of this. Okay. Or is this live? <laughs> it it is, but uh, we we can. Um, anyway, I mean, forget his, what you just heard. <laughs> he he's been telling me that he's he's at least been like browsing the real estate market and and uh, for rental properties, rental property val- uh, rates are going down. Right. In San Francisco, which is the first time like, in my lifetime, how long? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like he's like notice it's it's noticeable from week to week. He says he'll see properties 
listed at one price and then the next week they're still there, but they're a little bit lower. And then yeah. the next week, a little bit lower. God, that's so, it's so, it's so, so weird it's, how that works. Yeah. I mean, and people, this is happening everywhere, not just in San Francisco. People are leaving the cities and moving to the, to live with their parents, like young people. Yeah. Who had, who had jobs, maybe tech jobs or, because people are working from home now, they don't need to live in expensive apartments. <laughs> right. The whole thing about right. needing to like live in the Bay Area if your job is in the Bay Area is kind of becomes less relevant if everyone's working remotely. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, and that, and that was kind of my, you know, my deal day job wise with moving in the first place. It's like, oh, well, what I do for my day job, I can do from wherever. So it's kind of like living somewhere where there's a lower cost of living um, really gains an appeal. Doubly so if you can like sort of easily tour. <laughs> from it because the midwest is so much easier to tour than i mean i love the bay area dearly but it's like yeah you know, no it's it's, it, you're, it's it's isolated it is yeah in a strange way yeah i mean not, growing not... I grew up on the east coast and when dc is probably the the one of the best locations for touring yeah because you have the whole northeast corridor that's like you know the to drive to boston would take you six to eight hours depending on traffic right you drive to chicago in the same maybe eight hours and then all the cities in between you'd hit pittsburgh mm -hmm. and cleveland philadelphia Jersey. oh yeah philly is on the way up to boston yeah. but then and then you go south you got, and you go you to got a research hill, triangle you know, down chapel hill yeah 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 <laughs> you go you go raleigh chapel hill uh atlanta and then you if and then you we, Trans Am would always play in Florida because we just had a fan. We just did it. I don't know. We were like, why not? We'd go to the beach during the day and we'll play shows at night. Yeah. And, and, um, we developed a fan base down there and we would go every, every, we would do like tours of the South, like specifically. And we would always include Florida. And it, I love playing down there. And I think a lot of people, a lot of bands skip it. And that's, so people are starved for music down there. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, it's just out of the way enough that you kind of have to like want to put in the effort to get to it. It's almost like um, like the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or something, right? In the right, same way right. that like you, you have to like make an effort to do it. And, and my old co-host Brenna Betts was from Florida, and she always used right. to one up that and say that you know it always was a big deal when a band came down because of that. And and so right. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there's something where you can kind of uh, get yourself a very enthused base fairly, fairly easily because there's less competition. Uh, right. For, just because by nature of how many bands are playing, you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a place like D.C., any band that plays New York is likely going to play D.C. So there's a lot of, like, complacency and people are like, I don't want to go out. I saw a show, you know last week or whatever <laughs> right, you know? exactly. yeah you get that big city jadedness that happens yeah it's it happens it's real definitely i mean san francisco is kind of the same oh absolutely because there's that whole like that world famous in san francisco label which i've had the best name ever because there's whole bands that like all they do is play the bay area and usually san francisco specifically and, and maybe less so now uh just because oh, you, priced out of it but that's another interesting thing um Trans Am played our first ever Oakland show a few years ago. Um, was that the one at the Starline? 
Yes. That was that was and it totally that was like two days after you were on the show the first time, whenever that was. Or three Yeah, days that makes that. sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And we it blew my mind that it, it that was like a reality and we it had never occurred to us that we'd never played open before or the East Bay or even yeah. Berkeley or anything. And then I went to see Hot Snakes right before the pandemic hit, like March 10th mm-hmm. or something. And I still have the ticket stub somewhere. And um, John Reese got up on the mic and he was like, hey, great to see everyone here. This is our first time playing in Oakland. Sorry it took us so long. <laughs> well, because there's always been the there's always been the sort of tacit thing where if you live in the East Bay, like it's just, Oh, well, whatever you can, you know, take Bart, you can drive into San Francisco. Right. And it just, it, it was like, suck it up. And the reason why is because uh, East Bay people would go to San Francisco shows, but San Francisco people usually would not go to East Bay shows. No. We, we live in Siberia as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And it's, and it's bizarre. Cause it's like, it's guys, it's really not that hard, but it, it's just, it's, it's it's almost like how it used to be with Manhattan, right? Totally, and uh, that's the only way that I can describe it that makes sense to people. But it's something that like, well, but <laughs> unless in you're in same... the Bay Area rock scene, first of all, you probably don't care. <laughs> but secondly, you you won't really know because it's like, oh yeah, but you'll get people at an East Bay show that are that are like wouldn't come out to an SF show because they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with the parking, I don't want to deal with bridge toll, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you get a whole. Um, different demographic as well and for my money in, in my bands you know I'm not trying to denigrate San Francisco but I've generally had better times uh, with East Bay shows and now I right. say that my old band being from Oakland of course that's the case right but like <laughs> right <laughs> but uh, there also was it used to be that there was like a different vibe and it wasn't so uniform but as people have been priced out of San Francisco and have kind of gone to the Bay uh, to the East Bay as sort of a consolation prize then that's sort of like the lines have become a little more blurred there as well. I think it's what's happened in New York is what's it's happened in the Bay Area too, where now actually everything that's cool that's happening is happening in the East Bay. Yeah. And and totally. um same, you know, Brooklyn is where it's I mean, now it just keeps going further east in in New York. Um but yeah, it's it, that those parallels are pretty easy to draw. So how do you so you at this point now you've been in the Bay Area for quite a while? Uh, how how have you Since found 2003. it? Two thousand three. Yeah, I was gonna say like maybe even longer longer than I thought. That. As I was saying that, I was like mm, it's longer than you think, buddy. Uh, West Coast versus versus East Coast. What what musically? What do you think the cultural differences are uh, with shows? And oh, uh, that's a good question. Although it's it's been so long since I've lived on the East Coast that it's my perspective is certainly not current, but when I was living there, um, one thing I noticed, well, cause I moved, I moved from DC to, to San Francisco to play in the champs. And, um, like on a very like specific level, Trans Am was like, we were just like more, um, there was a lot more experimenting and recording jams and it was like really kind of free form. Mm-hmm. But when I moved out here, the champs had a totally different approach. It was like way more time spent in the rehearsal space. 
fine tuning things, arrangements and writing songs, the process was way slower. And, um, and you also were coming at it from the point of being like a fan, but also, you know, you had like known those guys and had played with those guys tons. So you yes. already knew and liked the music, but yes. it's a different thing to play it than it is to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It <laughs> was a, it was a huge, it was a huge change of approach. The process was just very different from between the two bands. I mean, the two bands are like, there's a lot of differences I mean, obviously, like even just listening to them, but even though we toured a lot together and were good friends, as soon as I started playing with them, I was like, holy shit, this is like, that was the most challenging band I've ever played in for so many different reasons. Most of them musical, just like the... The chops level of just... Yeah, it was just, it was the whole thing. It's a lot, a lot to really, keep track of, it would seem, right? I mean, were you charting? Like, yeah, the whole you... thing was really hard. Yeah, it was a really hard experience. And I gained a lot from it, but it was it was not easy at all. And it there, was really nerve-wracking throughout most of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, and there's always that thing, too, of, of a band that you like... And then you're playing in that band you like. Like I'm trying to remember. I think it was like Ray Washam was talking about playing in the Big Boys, you know. And, oh yeah. And just like they were his favorite band, and sort of. And then he's like, "Oh, now I'm, I'm going to be playing in it." Okay. And like just there's sort of the self-imposed pressure, but there's also the well, how much you know? Do I change? Do I change what I like about this? Like to put my right. own swing on it? Like what? What's the um, right? What's the ML? And, and in the case of the Champs, it's like God you had such an iconic player that like, it always just seemed like, okay, those three dudes are just like, it's those three dudes doing the, doing their thing. Uh, I guess that's a long way of saying big shoes to fill. I mean, not that you can't. Oh, couldn't. hell yeah. Josh Smith is an insanely good guitar player. And it was his band. He and Tim Sody started the band. Yeah, exactly. Like Tim came later. A lot of people don't realize that. Cause they, if they, I think if people have a tendency to <laughs> apply, uh, unearned credit to people that they already know from other things that are more famous. Right. And I love right. Tim green. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's like, yeah, he didn't start that band and he's no. the first he one was, to say he it. was the new guy until I joined. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And well, no, I love, love people don't realize that like, uh, uh, the, and the other Tim is a ripper guitar player as well as oh, a yeah. drummer. And like, there's, you know, obviously if the songs where they, they could pull that, pull that off live it was always interesting but anyway i guess what i'm saying is it was a very locked in dynamic and mm. while from a surface level there were certain elements that were very similar to trans am uh you know like the sort of like the the warm but aware embrace of prog and uh mm-hmm. big big rock probably being one of them very different hits differently too and so yeah. when you have these almost more like academic decathlon level riffs and arrangements uh you know how how do you even approach that from a from a mechanical perspective of of just like taking it all in dude that was it was like i had to be um had my hard drive wiped and (laughs) reprogrammed from the ground up i swear it was like every rehearsal was like this crazy musical brain freeze it was it was super challenging. And is it, you know, were those songs, you know, okay, is this many measures 
you know, over this time signature, then it does this? Or was it like, oh, no, you know, watch this for the change? Like, because it seemed very... It was super composed. There was not very much left to chance. Right. Or, um, but, like, I would never count. It was all... We rehearsed to the point where everything became physical memory, muscle memory. So the, ideally, like you, you wouldn't think about anything and your hands would just, you'd start the show and your hands would just kind of do their it thing. Would, it would do the thing it was supposed to do. Yeah. 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 That's ideally. Then introduce alcohol and whatever <laughs> else. And who knows, who knows what's going to happen. It was, it was, so it was a pretty slippery, like, brewer. Well, in all the shows I saw you play with, uh, with them, I, were, I thought were fantastic. And I definitely... Yeah, Thank you. You know, there was a lot of crossed arm bros. And let's be clear, they were all dudes. They were just like, <laughs> all right, we'll, uh, we'll see about Who's this. this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or even people that knew you, they were like, all right, keyboard boy, better... Uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, they have guitars in that band too, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but true. I mean, I was, I was very self-conscious about being... Like, I almost said no. I almost didn't do it. But it, it came at a point in my life where I needed a, an excuse to move because I was so tired of living in D.C. Right. And I felt like if I didn't move at that time, I would never move and I would just I'd still be living there. And I don't regret it at all. Like, not for a second. Did you just feel burned out? of uh from being there was it yeah just i mean like- trans am i think we we had been touring so relentlessly for so long and we uh kind of hit a wall and um there was a lot of things kind of like uh happening at the same time like i was in a relationship and i had a we had agreed me and my girlfriend at the time had agreed that we would eventually move together to some place and then this thing, like Tim Green was like, I have a room available in a room available in my house. I have a studio in the basement where you can work. You can do sessions there, and then um, you can play in the champs. Yeah, that's a pretty soft landing. That's a- <laughs> and it was yeah, and it was like the room was insanely cheap, and I was like, all right, this is like falling in my lap. I'm going to take this opportunity. Right, give it a try. Move to California and see. And I've always loved. I mean, San Francisco is what's not to love, you know? It's easy to fall in love with the city when you're on tour. I mean, and it's, you know, I I didn't move away because I didn't like it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you and so many other people, it's like, that's that's the bittersweet thing about San Francisco. There's so many great people who live here, and then I swear it's like once a month, someone will be like, I'm moving. Yeah. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, and you, I mean, you almost get used to it, but it's you never quite get used to it. No, it's still hard. So, okay, so you're you got a situation where you're, you're pulling up stakes from a very, uh, you know, very comfortable uh, lifestyle and well-worn lifestyle within some place that you're familiar with, and you're going to a place that you know, but you only really have known it from visiting, from from touring, right? Being on tour, yeah. There's a big difference between being on tour and living in a place. Oh, hell yeah. 
So, <laughs> so what was the what was the big takeaway there? Of like, what was your first epiphany of? Uh, okay, well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I remember having this moment. Okay, so we moved into Tim Green's house in the Excelsior, which is on you know it's an way it's like on the outer on the outer out, southern out. edge yeah. of the city basically. And to me, when I would visit. San Francisco, we'd stay at Tim's place, and that was San Francisco to me. It was like, okay. Yeah, it's this. Whatever. <laughs> and then living there after like a month or two, I was like, man, we live so fucking far away. From, <laughs> um, I have to, I can't even ride my bike because there's too many huge hills between here and there. Like in another area, it would be a different city, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because of how long it takes yeah. to get from point A to point B, yeah. And, and then, so that, that slowly, um, and then, and then there was the other thing, the other reality was while Tim had offered me the, the opportunity to work at Louder, which is an awesome, was an awesome studio. It still is, but now it's in a different location, even better now than (laughs) a a very different location. Yeah. Good little foothills of grass Valley. Yeah. And, um, but Tim was so busy in his studio that. I found it difficult to book sessions. There wasn't any time. You know, to it was just like two. Yeah. It was two. Yeah, it was the reality. Was one was different than what we had planned on, and so that's actually what led me to find um, Kurt Schlegel and his studio, Lucky Cat, where Kurt was the opposite. He was always gone on tour, and his studio was vacant and dark. And he was like, "Yeah, you should book sessions here." And it's a great studio so I, as well. And Kurt's definitely one of the most was, unsung heroes of the of the Bay Area recording world. I, I sure. loved working at, at Lucky Cat. I have a lot of fond memories, and great. I've made some great records there. With, but um, that's also moved to a new location, and um, because I don't know, I don't even know what's in there now. But it became too expensive for Kurt to keep operating. But. Yeah. Maybe. It's probably yeah, a dot com so, of some kind. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's. I think it might also be empty. It's like some someone's yeah. just sitting. Panama Papers. Yep. There P- you go. Putin's got a got a lot of money tied up in that. Is he not going to let it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, might so you're right. And you also you also came in kind of right before that most recent uh, Borg takeover. <laughs> like it was just starting then uh the the right the, the tech takeover of the bay area which it tends to be a frequent topic on this show especially when i have anyone that's like lived in the bay area for any, for any length of time and i think for obvious right. reasons but it's also something that i think for folks outside the bay area don't necessarily know i mean the bay area used to be very different like it, it was a very one of the most welcoming places for just, you know, freaks, nerds, and weirdos ever. And I'm not just talking about hippie stuff. I'm talking about, you know, crazy anything. noise shows. Yeah, metal, mm-hmm. like, you know, like whatever, anything. And, I mean, it's no surprise that, like, a band like Steel Pole Bathtub, you know, landed in, in San Francisco, right? It's, yeah. It's no surprise that Flippers from, from the Bay Area. But Yeah, my, one of my favorites. Same here. And it, it's mm-hmm. th- there was this slow takeover where everything sort of started to... I'm going to use the word pivot towards tech. (laughs) Yeah. And and there was like a few years that, uh, you know, there was sort of like a transitional period. And it's not that it wasn't good stuff being made, but it gradually became less and less of a place for 
artists and musicians and weirdos to be able to afford to live and and to be able to make art and so hence the hence the flight which was you know usually based off of necessity but uh where i'm driving with all of this is not you 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 moved as a musician and as a engineer and producer to the bay area during this time like as this stuff is changing so it seems so it seems to me from the outside that you kind of caught like a little bit like a little bit of the glory days like just like you know right. a couple a couple years and then yeah the early the, my early part of being here was definitely that and then i just start to see like i was just saying like all these people just start to fall away yeah watch like when john dwyer left i got so sad i was like Wait, you're the mayor of San Francisco. <laughs> right? what, what, are you, you, are you allowed leave? to do that? Like, <laughs> I don't think you. I don't think you're allowed to do that. No, don't leave. <laughs> yeah, but I. But at the same time, I completely understand. It's like he, someone who wants, who aspires to like buy a house, yeah. and and you know, do some sort of adult things. It's like he can't. It's out of reach for so many people here. You know. So were you, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's Even someone as successful as John. Yeah. It's just, it's not an, and that's something that's very difficult to describe to people in the Midwest of, of it just being like, yeah, that's just, that's not an option. Right. They're like what? Like, oh no, but what if, no, no, it's, it's just not an option. Like it's, it's impossible. It's, it will never happen. Like it's not going to be a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. so so did you meet donnie uh back then um yeah actually that's a funny story um talk about like okay so i moved to san francisco i had this job t- theoretical job booking sessions at louder mm-hmm. but then the reality set in it's like okay t- tim's so busy with the studio and i'm i'm broke now and i need to find a job so where did i go bottom of the hill I went to bottom of the hill asking um, if they needed a sound man, you know, do you guys, do you That's need right. anyone? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was Donnie and Lars Savage. Um, and they, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was Donnie was the manager of the sound crew or Lars, but I turned in an application and we had an inter- had an interview and, the next thing I knew I was doing sound for Ohm and earthless. That was the first show I mixed. You know what? Yeah. I think I was at that show and I was like, is that it Phil was on the soundboard? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was great. so awesome. That was, you know what it, it was? was? Like, that was the first time I saw earthless and I was like, God damn, this that is was a, killer. Yeah. That was the first time I saw them too. It was when I met all those guys and, um, what a great show to break the ice for me. And, I mean, I'd always loved playing Bottom of the Hill, and I knew the venue. Yeah, you know, not not nearly as well as after working there, but I got to know all the people, and that was like a really great community to fall into. Absolutely, um, like hard to do all as those... far as like lifers that are just doing it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what's crazy is I not only do, do Donnie and I still work together at El Studio, play together in a band, but I still work with Donnie and Lars at KQED. How funny! <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, you ever, like, uh, you ever listen to Roland? Uh, oh yeah, Roland's, bit, Roland's great, man. Oh yeah, a, I love that yeah. band. Yeah, definitely. So was uh, so Don was Donnie still in film school when that was around? Probably. Yeah, it's, I think it was probably ugh, hard, hard, hard to place it all at this point. So, yeah. so you meet him back then, Bottom of the Hill days, um, 
And then, so you got you, and you got to know Phil Becker because of El Studio, I would imagine, right? Um, or did you already no, know him I, from Triclops? I, I recorded Triclops at Lucky right. Cat. That's right. And that's, I think, I think that's how Phil and I met um, was during that session. And, oh, you know what it was, actually? It was before that session. I moved, when I moved out of Tim Green's house, me and my girlfriend moved to Arkansas street, right around the corner from the, um, around the corner from bottom of the hill and from, um, the park side. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And Phil lived on Arkansas street, but like a little bit further up. And I don't remember, I think maybe Kurt Schlegel may have introduced us, but somehow I was introduced to Phil and Phil invited me over and he was like, here, let me show you my grow up. <laughs> in the middle of his tiny apartment he had built this he built this like plywood shed right it was like in like literally in his living room there was like a room within a room and that was his like grow room and i was like whoa that's pretty intense <laughs> like this guy's this guy's cool I'm, and then like me and my girlfriend broke up and like Right. I moved out of that place and whatever it was like, that was a brief, that was a really cool moment when I lived around the corner from bottom of the hill and I worked there. And then I was also working at lucky cat. So my commute was all of to either place was all of like a couple blocks. blocks or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you'd, you've, and you knew Phil was a monster drummer, obviously Triclops was as a oh, yeah. no slouch I mean, totally. pins of light. Do you you probably Lower Forty Eight was probably already done by the time you came out, I think. I right? didn't I never saw Lower Forty Eight. Yeah, they were they were that 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 was some World Cup drumming to be sure. That was Yeah. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. so well and you know, so we'll get all right, so we'll get to Terry Gross. I realized last time I first of all, I'm I'm really bad with returning guests of not covering the same topic, so we're probably covering some of the same stuff, and I just don't care, frankly. But for a 123-episode break, I think I'm allowed, right? Uh, sure. Also, I remember, like... People have, have short, bad short-term memory. Right. Anyway. There's a bunch of people that, like, listen to this show now that never listened to it back then, too. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time apologizing about it. Uh, but I don't think we talked about Life Coach at all oh, okay. last time. Like, I don't think I even brought it up. I think I spent more time, like, uh, on some, you know, probably nonsense and, and bits or something. Well, we're t- talking with... Me and Seb, we were really stoned on that show. Yeah, so. and we were, yeah, and he just come from the airport too. And yeah, and that son of a bitch could have broke the news that he had joined Baroness that day, and he chose not to. God damn it! Yeah, because he already had hits it, but I think it hadn't been revealed yet. But that's fine. I don't blame him. Yeah, it was great having you guys yeah. on, and great to be able to. Do yeah, it in that, w- that was fun. So how did you? So life coach. Uh, so you already you already out to the Bay Area. Uh, how did you develop what uh, came to be Life Coach? Because did you envision it as a solo thing originally? Yeah, well, the f- yes. The first, I put out a solo record that I sort of compiled from pieces that had been like demos that were, that never really became Trans Am songs or like right. either either like those guys weren't interested or or like I never presented them to as songs to Trans Am but I eventually accumulated enough songs that my first solo record I put out is Phil Manley and the title of the album was is Life, Life Coach. Coach, right? <laughs> and then, but then I started playing shows. Once that record came out, I started playing s- solo shows and I 
I was calling it Phil Manley Life Coach. And then I eventually started working on new material and it became clear to me that I wanted, I didn't want to do it with a drum machine anymore. So I called my friend, John Theodore, who I played with in golden for oh, many years, right, which we didn't even talk about golden last time either. Yeah. yeah and Gold, a golden was a, a totally uh, underrated band. I mean, I think the only time I, uh, the only time I saw golden, I think, uh, was it with Trans Am? Maybe it was with Trans Am. Yeah, pos- totally possible. But I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, I got the record, and then, like, you know, I was like, oh, oh, that band's around anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, Golden also played at the Great American Music Hall with uh, Makeup. And then Golden once played at the bottom of the hill with Rye Coalition and Breakout, the Thin oh, Lizzy cover band. I remember that. I, I I was at that show and I specifically remember because I believe you guys played Dedication. Uh yes. which is <laughs> even amongst Thin Lizzy fans, like not like sort of not not like one that people like normally go to, but I was like, oh sick, they're playing dedication. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um Okay, anyway, so John Theodore, so called... amazing drummer. Uh yeah, phenomenal I, I, drummer. I I sent John all of these tracks and John's a really busy guy and, you know, um, I was like, not really, I sent, I sent the tracks to, I think I sent them to Seb, to John, to Tony Patera from Zombie Mm -hmm. and to Kid Millions from Oneida. And of all of the drummers, John was the first to reply. And I think he was at a point in his life where he just needed to play or something i don't know but like the stars aligned and he was like fuck yeah he he was living at the time he was living in the guest house at flea's property in malibu nice and it's it was like a trying to pull a a rocker kato kalen situation (laughs) yeah it was a it was a cool spot i went to visit him when he was living there and it was right on the one, like literally like he, his bedroom window like was like, he could reach out and like touch the cars driving down the Pacific coast highway. Nice. And, but then there was a garage next to his, like a, you know, separate garage next to his cottage where he set up his drums and he recorded all the drums himself, like using a Mackie mixer and his Pro oh, wow. setup. Okay. Yeah. So just, and he did a really good job. He used three microphones and it came out sounding killer. And um, the track suddenly came to life. And then I got Isaiah Mitchell. He helped play some guitar on some of that. It's and pretty good on the guitar. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty lucky. I mean, actually me, John and Isaiah and Zach De La Rocha actually jammed for a minute. Really? Yeah. Never took off the ground. It was very brief. What 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 did that uh what did that sound like? What was what kind of stuff were you digging into? Just I I mean it was like literally one jam. Okay. And I don't remember it ever it was it wasn't like we didn't leave the rehearsal space like, yeah, let's do that again. It was like, oh well, we tried that. Right. You know? <laughs> well I mean, hey man, better if it you know, better if you realize it doesn't work, like better you realize that before, you know. Yeah. Commit to it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But I mean, but me, John and Isaiah, 
um, I, even though we never actually played any of that stuff live as the three of us, you knew you had goes, that shorthand of uh, being able to play together and kind of, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, um, I think that there's a common bond between the three of us, which is we all love ZZ Top. And um, that made it just super easy. Do you see the, uh, do you see the doc? By the way, we're talking oh, about yeah. Isaiah, Isaiah from uh, Earthless, by the way, just for anyone. Yeah, Isaiah who's, Mitchell, who's yeah. Not aware of the Maze Man Earthless. And of course, Mario Rubicaba was on. He was awesome. Uh, but yeah, ZZ Top doc. I, 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 I liked it quite a bit. I also liked the fact that like basically they get to Eliminator and, and then they were like, and they still play to this day. Like they just. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I think that that was the smartest move. It's, it's like, oh, cool. You don't have to like talk, you know, talk about, uh, you know, step into my sleeping bag or anything like is, is, yeah. is, is like, that's a good line of demarcation that not, not that there is, yeah. like, there's it, a couple of good tunes on like, you know, that one record somewhat recently, but like, I was like, yeah, what you want to hear about is all of that early stuff. And I thought that was, yeah, of course they, they dwell on the stuff that the fans want to hear about. I thought that was an awesome move. And a couple people got pissed off about it, but like uh, that I know. And I was like, really, you want to like get like yeah. deep into the nitty gritty of these like very mediocre records. Let's remember them as yeah, like the they, Titans. They are. Yes. I, I agree. 100%. My wife and I went to see that at a theater in Berkeley when nice. it came out. Nice. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I I don't I never thought that I could like that band even more. Yeah. And after watching that, I was like, this yeah, these guys band never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> They're so and Frank like listening to Frank Beard's interviews, he's oh, so man. funny. Yeah. He's so so funny and just kind of matter of fact about stuff where it's like, oh, oh, all right. Damn, dude. Okay. <laughs> right <Yeah>. on. <laughs> he pulls he pulls no punches. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I like that documentary. I guess, I, but yeah, I also like that they stopped it where they stopped it, and <laughs> I thought that was I, I thought it was doubly funny if you were aware of the discography past that record. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I I freaking love Eliminator. I think Eliminator is amazing. I oh yeah, oh me too. Yeah, I can tell. You... <laughs> but I, but Afterburner is where I draw the yeah, line. Afterburner Although is like mm, there's a couple jams here, but uh, she's kind of getting. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little too much programming and not enough, like, it's a little bit, like, and then the record after that was called Recycler. Recycler, which is, which is the, it's, that's the correct name for that, because. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there you go. Yeah, there, there's some, there's some, and even, like, on Afterburner, there's some, there's some harsh tokes on, on Afterburner yeah. as well. Like, Donnie recently um, was playing me some Afterburner he was like, there's some stuff on here that really sounds like Trans Am. You should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is one of the first things, like, when I first kind of got into Trans Am, uh, and I was thinking of stuff like, you know, Balbados or whatever, where I was like, oh, yeah, they got a kind of ZZ Top vibe sometimes. But then when the synths started to play a heavier presence, I was definitely like, oh, no, this is kind of like, this is kind of like the 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 uh, sort of synthy ZZ Top that I can fuck with. Like, this is, this is cool. Because not a lot of bands... Right. Do that. I've definitely heard bands that kind of do a ZZ Top deal, uh, for sure. But yeah, you know, and I'm, maybe it's because it's just it's just a hard line to walk. Yeah, <laughs> between total like cheese dick stuff and like totally awesome. Yeah, like butt rock. Yeah. Uh, well, and that that's actually, and I want to get back to the other story, but that that's actually a good question. Where where do you where do you find the line, right? Where do you find the line with that kind of thing? Like, what? How far? How far know. is too far? <laughs> Well, Trans Am was never afraid to cross that line. I mean, I think 
I think Trans, I think Trans Am jumped over a couple lines, uh, but yeah. you know, but you, but you did it with full throated abandon, like the whole, the whole yeah. move to like the TA album, uh, you know, which, which at the time, and it's hard to, you know, we, we live in a world of like instant reaction to everything. Right. But yeah, right now, yeah. but the delayed reaction of just like, Hey, they, they're like in these suits and they made like this weird new wave record almost. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a dude that was like, is this the same band? This is this is the same band, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's the same band. They're just uh, yeah. doing this. I don't know what they're smoking, but... <laughs> uh, so, and that's... Uh, uh, well, and I want to... Okay, so so, so we'll, we'll come we'll come back to that because we were talking... See, ZZ Top, uh, John Theodore, Zach De La Rocha, Jam, didn't... Work oh, out. Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah. Oh, Life Coach, Life, Life coach. coach. Fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> Right, so so John, this is like Inception. So John put the, yeah, John put the drums on that record, and then, um, you know, we had I had a record together, and I turned it into Thrill Jockey, and then that came out, and it was tricky because then, because of John's notoriety and celebrity, yeah, having played in, in Mars, Mars Volta, Volta, which that's that's the only his lineup is the only lineup of Mars Volta I ever saw, by the way. Yeah. That's the same with me. And I'm okay but with that. The, 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 um, it was really kind of crushing, but like the day where it's like right, right before that record came out, the life coach record, mm-hmm. John, well, not, it was, I shouldn't say it was crushing, but it was like poor timing. Um, John was asked to play with Queens of the Stone Age. And he was like, I got to do this. And yeah. I was like, of course you've got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but it was also like, well, okay, they're, they're, and then, so I was like, kind of like, couldn't play shows as life coach without John. Yeah. Cause how are you going to go I back to using a drum machine? Right? Because he wasn't available. Yeah, exactly. But we did, we did actually do some tours together. Um, we we op- did a tour opening for Moon Duo and that was really great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, and it was I remember I was I was impressed from a from an outside perspective like, oh wow, they're making this work and like, you know, here's here's the windows we have to to do this. Let's make it work. I, I thought that I thought that was really cool and mm-hmm. and then also we did a tour with Ladio Balaco. Oh, not Ladio Balaco. Psychic Paramount. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh I love Ladio Balaco though. That was a yeah, and and the psychic paramount, I think I might like even more. Um, but then, and then we also did a tour with Tortoise, so we had we had some good tours, and we probably will do it again. But it's just been a while, and you know, like like now, who knows when? But yeah, <laughs> nobody's touring right life now. Life has so. gotten exponentially <laughs> more complicated for both of us. John has a kid. Yeah, and actually in Wisconsin. Um his wife and his daughter live in lacrosse. Oh, wow. No kidding. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Huh. And, and, um, yeah. And obviously I have two kids and a job, so yeah, it's touring is less and less of an option, but you know, we'll find a way to find these like week to 10 day windows from here and here and there. Same with, same with, uh, Terry gross. We were planning on coming when the Terry gross record was supposed to come out in, November, we wanted to go to Chicago and play shows and like probably do Chicago 
maybe Madison or Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. I think I even might have like hit up hit up Becker of, of being like, hey, dude, let me know. You know. <laughs> yeah, but when when we do finally get to do it, we're, we we want to fly out there. Oh yeah, to play you some could... shows in the Midwest and play Minnesota, Minneapolis. It's totally well. worth it. It's totally worth it. Yeah, we will. So. <laughs> Well, and th- and that's awesome. That's that's also excellent breaking news. Uh, the, but with uh, yeah, with life coach, that's that's got to be. You're, you're soaked for your friend and your, your bandmate, of course. Like that's a big that's a big like you know golden ticket situation. You know, great. There's, as far as big rock bands go, like you, it's hard to do much better than that. That's operating uh, certainly at that caliber. But then by the same token, like. You're like ah, we're we're also just kind of getting this to where it's really dialed in, like we're really like locked into it. So you you've got both right. of those things going on at once, like you know that's that's tough, man. Like that, that I gotta imagine yeah. that that, that might have um, you know it's when something is well, a bummer I, and you're happy for your friend at the same time. <laughs> well, I was more happy for him, but it was the reality of me like. My, my days as like a professional touring musician have definitely are behind me because I'm not, I don't want to be the dad who's not home because I'm touring all the time. And, and, uh, I'm happy to go on tour. Like if I can go on tour 10 days a year, even that would be rad. Well, and it, seems, it seems like Trans Am kind of has, has pivoted into like a sort of tactical strike adventure based situation. Yeah, it's anyway, a fishing right? trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fishing trip. Yeah. That's that's the way we look at it. If we're we're, I mean, Nathan, the bass player, lives in New Zealand now. He, after after oh, Trump yeah. was you elected, you don't want to stay in the same continent. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, he and his wife had a deal that if Trump was elected, they were going to move to New Zealand. And, he, he, you know, you know what happened. So, and they did. They were like, "Fuck it." And New Zealand's actually dealt with this better than i think almost any other country in, on the planet so i know they're they're laughing now i mean there's like <laughs> so, so many times over yeah exactly Turn, turns out it was a, the right move <laughs> yeah uh but yo so, but going from you know trans am being a i'm in a band full-time you know hitting it hard doing the thing and switching to the more <laughs> a fishing trip tactical strike whatever terminology you want to use right uh but then by the same token being able to still look at the band's catalog as a catalog and kind of pull pull from the new stuff like you know the stuff that you know the hits the the things that people want to hear i didn't notice any like a misstep at all in the trans am shows i've seen since it's it's stepped down for sure well yeah and and, you know what's what's interesting is when we started, it was more like it is now because we were all right. kind of scattered. Like we were at different universities. Nathan was at UNC Chapel Hill. Seth was at Bard College in New York and I was at Oberlin in Ohio. So we, we were always getting together kind of like randomly, occasionally. And then it, then it after college ended and we all moved to DC, we're first to Maryland and then to DC. We're living together, touring together, recording together, always together. It's a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that eventually kind of blew up, and we all moved different places. Nathan moved to New Zealand for the first time. He had subsequently moved back to Portland, and then now is back in New Zealand. So, and 
Seb lives in New York, but he had, he moved to London for a period. Everyone yeah. kind of everyone's just kind of went there different. Yeah, yeah. But you know and, that at that and, point you got to you know you're going to keep playing because it's not like it, there's acrimony acrimonious no. situations. Then you know that like you like doing this, people like seeing it, so there's no reason to not yeah. find a way to make I it work, right? Yeah, exactly. We're we'll get together again when it makes sense um, logistically and. I, I think we all look forward to that, and but right now, who knows when? But. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's not a transam problem; that's a Earth problem. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's a human race problem. Yeah, exactly. That's a like, when you get to, when you get to the point where we're worrying about transam tours, we're in a pretty good spot, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree, and it, it may we may just have to put everything down once we get to that point, just so we can go on tour. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. So. Talk to me about the the first record. Uh, we you, you did that with um, with John, right? With John McIntyre. John McIntyre. Yeah, the, I'm talking the about first the, record. Yeah, that was the blue um, one with well, the looks like a, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the vertical white stripes. Yeah, that was it. Was it started? We recorded like half of that ourselves, mm-hmm. um, just sort of on four track, like and and well, actually, I should back up. The whole way we got hooked up with John was we recorded a concert that we played in Chapel Hill. Like someone brought a four track to the show and recorded the show. And, and um, we compiled the songs from that. Like, you know, we put together like a six minute montage of that, of all those songs, put it on a seven inch, a split seven inch with our friends Thigh Masterson, who were a band. That's a, a brand band from band Oberlin. <laughs> yeah, they were from Oberlin. And there's John McIntyre had gone to Oberlin and he had moved to Chicago and was working at Idful Recording Studio. And they, Thigh Master went to Idful, recorded with John. So Thigh Masterson's side was recorded with John. Trans Am was on the other side. Record comes out. Thigh Masterson sends the copy to John. John was like, who's this Trans Am band? Contacts Thigh Masterson. And we hook up with John that way. And John's like, yeah, I'd love to record you guys. So then Trans Am, we had all this material that was already kind of in the works. But then we had all this other stuff that we wanted to record with John. So we did half of the record with John at Idful. And then we put it all together as an album and then sent it to a bunch of labels. And only a handful of people were, resp- this is back like when it was like, you get a copy of CMJ. <laughs> right. This is, this is a very different time for, for a lot of the younger listeners. Yeah. Than it is you, now. We made yeah. like cassette copies with, with like Kinko's artwork that yeah. we did by hand and we got the copy of CMJ with all of the out the record label addresses. We picked out, you know, highlighted all the, the labels we wanted to send it to. And, um, of all the, we sent it to probably like 20 to 30 labels of all the labels that responded only discord cranky, simple machines, feel like those are the only labels that responded and um ian mckay was the only one who was like 
he was interested enough that he wanted to meet me and like talk about it. Yeah. And so that was really cool. I'd never met him before. Yeah, I mean, that's just cool in and of itself, right? I mean, it's yeah, he was like, Ian Mackay, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really into this, but I don't know if it's going to fit on our roster, but maybe you want to get together and talk about it anyway. And so I met him at the Black Cat, and we, we just chatted, and he was super friendly. And he was like, yeah, it's just a little bit too far afield from everything on our label. I just don't know how this would work. And I was like, I understand. Yeah. But – you know, anyway, thanks. And then, and then, um, time wore on and we, we were actually set to release it with our friends. We were going to do like a co-release where friends of ours in, in Cleveland, this guy, Rick had a label called happy go lucky. Oh, and he was going to yeah. do, he was going to do, um, I don't know if he was going to do the CD or the vinyl, and then our friends in Chapel Hill were going to, their, their label was called Tuba Frenzy. They had a fanzine and a label. And they, I don't remember who was going to do what, but we had it all lined up and like that was the deal. And, and then we went to play a show in Chicago with, we opened for the CN Cake on the 4th of July. Nice. And Bettina, who runs Thrill Jockey, was at the show and she was like, Can I put out your record? And we were like, Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And, yeah. And then we, we had to break the news to um, those labels. And Rick from Happy Go Lucky was like, that's totally fine. I completely understand yeah, your thing. Yeah. But our friends at Tuba Frenzy got really bent out of shape. And they were like, how could you do this? You're, this I, We had an arrangement. We had an agreement. And it was, it was really hard. We were like, we felt really shitty because we had totally betrayed these, yeah. you know, like, we'd like backed out of a deal and, but, and I think in the end, I feel like it's all water under the bridge. Now we've made, we made amends with them and we're still friends with them. Well, that's good. And, and I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great debut and, and with the context of, um, you know, modern context, it, 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 I think it's less jarring maybe than, than, than when it came out, uh, just because there's, there's, <laughs> been a more acceptability of you know like your certain elements of like prog and kraut rock and whatever being in rock music now but i think you guys were kind of at the paragon of sort of melding that well we we were an, an, an anomaly certainly when we would go to play shows and we'd have like a casio keyboard on a guitar case on a keyboard stand with like a dj mixer we had a sampler and like it was so homebrew and like yeah. super scrappy <laughs> and, and the sound guy would just be like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And we would, I would plug everything into my, my, um, my amp. Yeah. And it was before we would even bother with DI boxes. It was like, <laughs> right, you just, just run it through the amp and away. You it go. was so crazy sounding. Yeah. And cool. And, but it was very primitive and very like, we were like, as, equal parts craft work and van halen yeah. it's like <laughs> totally. how, but then like also like pole though like everything was like yeah. super homebrew yeah and you know it, it works well it's 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 a unique sound that you know that others would emulate in their own way and it would come out sounding like how they would sound out it, it's funny you mentioned discord too because i was trying to think about when el guapo uh first got together but i want to say i want because i want to say they got together they were around then, but they kind of hadn't done anything yet. That's the only band I can think of on Discord that's like would be like remotely 
in the same well, family. El Guapo right? was definitely post. Um, Trans Am was already pretty established, I think, when El Guapo started. And I actually recorded. You recorded one of their records, yeah, yeah. I forget. I yeah, forget. at least one. But and they also then re- maybe recorded another record called Super, Super System. System. Yeah, when they yeah. when they decided to change their name. Um, yeah. So talk to me about between like was it ninety six to ninety seven uh, from the first album over to uh, Surrender to the Night. So Surrender to the Night, um, we that's when we were all living together. So we were actually composing music together. Like I was working in a music store. Nathan was working at a book and record store and Seb was actually going to graduate school for physics, but we all lived in the same house. I'm such a physics nerd. How do they not know that? I would have like just, yeah, he was, he was studying astrophysics at university of Maryland. He got a scholarship there, Oh man! but that was also this critical turning point for us where, we were being, we had agreed, we put out the record on Thrill Jockey and we were getting lots of tour offers and, right. and we were just becoming less and less available and to do other things. And um, so Seb basically dropped, well, it was also becoming clear to him that if he stayed on that track, most of the people who went through the University of Maryland physics program went on to work for defense contractors. Yeah. That's, and he was like, yeah, he was like, I have zero interest. I have less than zero interest in doing that. So, I mean, it gives you something to talk about with Brian May, if you ever meet queen, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Or, or, um, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. On the defense like contractor trip, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a uh, yeah. He did some war profiteering too. Skunk Baxter is a uh, well. That's a different podcast we can do. Yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> but anyway, so wait. So what were we talking about? So yeah, Brian May, astrophysics. You, uh, Seb was was working towards uh, school stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So then, so then we got um, we got a lot of. Oh yeah. So so surrender to the night. Okay. So we were, we were building this record at home, all four of us or three of us. And then we wanted to do it again with John, but we wanted to record. We did like more of that record with John than the previous record, which was like only half recorded by John. We did some recording at home and we brought the eight track with us. We drove to Chicago with all our instruments and the eight track tape. And John was, they were still building the studio in his loft. Oh, which wow. Was, so it was, it was still being created at that point. It was like, we showed up with all our gear and we're like, okay, we're ready to go. Yeah. And they had like all of the cable harnesses like laid out on the floor and, and they were like up all night soldering. <laughs> like, Getting it, it all was, ready at the last second. Yeah. Yeah. It was really like plug it in and turn it on and hope everything works. And luckily, <laughs> luckily it did. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, so we, we did that in the tortoise loft. It was like Doug McCombs was living there. Dave Paho was also living there. And dude, and um, who else? Johnny and John and Jeff Parker. But that was before Jeff was officially in the band, I think. Um, but uh, I remember borrowing Dave's Strat for some of the record and thinking like halfway through recording with it, I was like, this is the guitar he played on that slint record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like yeah. Having that realization, like as I was playing it, like, wow, this is a cool guitar. 
you're 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 tracking the stuff like there's the studios bailing wire and and duct tape yeah it was it was also funny too because it was happening during the olympics the summer olympics (laughs) i'm not sure where where the summer summer olympics was but maybe it was that was the atlanta summer olympics but anyway doug mccombs would was i remember him very distinctly he would like get a rocking chair and he had the tv on constantly just playing the olympics and he had a an acoustic bass guitar and he'd just sit there and like write music all day long. Like he didn't do anything except for like sit and play bass and uh, watch the Olympics. And I I actually reminded him of that lately. And he's like, I don't remember doing that at all. And I was like, (laughs) what you were doing. Yeah. um, That's a pretty memorable thing. Like that's a story that like, that would be difficult to make up, you know? and, And I also remember, um, we would get, we would work all day and then we'd get wasted at night. We'd just like drink beer all night and tequila or whatever. And then I remember waking up on the floor of their loft, really hung over, like, you know, with like cat hair in your mouth, like you do. <laughs> and, and then looking up and, and Jim O'Rourke was sitting at the kitchen table, like, like freshly showered and just like, like all dressed and ready to go and like staring at us, like three losers like, <laughs> sitting on the floor. What are, what are you dudes like, doing? <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was a really funny place. Like, I don't know if at the time it really like, I mean, we were impressed to be around all those guys. Cause they of were, course, yeah, we, we looked up to all of them for sure. And I don't know, like in hindsight, it's pretty funny to look back on it, but um, cause we were just these like scruffy Dudes who wanted a party, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you had established your your bona fides as a uh, you know being like this force to be reckoned with or anything. Like you're just like in this very you know post rock monkeys. Yes, <laughs> sort of we, we were riding on their coattails. <laughs> that's for sure. So in that record, um, it's it, it kind of brings in it brings even more of like kind of like the synthy sort of stuff and and kind of establishes like you know more more of that as part of the sound did you feel like that one you just been been able to like be a band more at that time been like more road tested on stuff like that did you find that making those songs did did they hit differently or did anything come to mind when you were trying to do on that record that was different than the one before it that's a good question it's hard for me to remember i do I do feel like it was a very different record because it was, we wrote it all together and I feel like there's some, that makes a difference. There's a co there's a cohesiveness to it. And also we had sort of an overarching concept for the record, which helped us put it together as like an album. Sure. Yeah. So, so the concept the came like, first then, uh, or was it something that developed maybe, later? or like it, it grew in parallel, but then I remember before we even started recording, we went out to eat brunch with John and we were sitting at the table and we laid out this whole concept for him. And he was like, okay. 
<laughs> Fine. If that's if that's Sounds what you want right. to do. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just here I'm just here to press record. Yeah, I'll push the button whenever you're ready to do those things that you just talked about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, that that was I feel like that was his reaction. He but he was a good sport. I mean, so looking back on it back on it now, like as as a dude who records, like do you you kinda like, oh yeah, like he didn't he didn't need the brief history of time there. Or was it? Just- <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I like to indulge people if they if they're trying to go for like a concept record, yeah. or, uh, and try to get in the spirit of the whole thing. You know, it's. I mean, a future world had that too. It definitely has a concept. Future and- world's absolutely a concept record, and and, and I, I do want to get into that. But can you talk about the surveillance uh, before? Oh yeah, the that? surveillance comes in between, and I feel like that was that was a record that was really born of us we were like such road dogs at that point right we were like barely ever home when we would tour this we would do the states then we tour in europe we even toured in like japan and new zealand and australia and then we'd come home and tour the states again you know it's just like nice. this tour cycle was just like totally relentless and and those all and came out in pretty quick succession too. I mean, it was almost like CCR style, right? Where it was almost yeah, like a we, we every were, year. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were definitely on track to do we we were pushing ourselves. We were like, well, what else are we gonna do? We're just gonna write, record, tour, yeah. repeat, like <laughs> ad nauseum. Yeah. And um that that record has a real live feel to it, and I think that that's because of that circumstance. It does. And, and then, it, you, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and I, I can't, oh, was it Surrender the Night or that one that had this, had this sticker about all distortions being intentional? Oh, that was Surrender to the Night. And that was, <laughs> that was because Bettina at the label, she, she was worried that people were going to hear Rough Justice, which has that like, yeah, that dist- really explosion. super distorted explosion. Yeah. They, yeah. She was like, people are going to think this is fucked up and they're going to want to return it. And, <laughs> So she want, she put that on the cover, and we were like, "Okay." So that, so that was a Bettina thing, because I thought it was just I, I thought it was just like a like a swag thing of like, yeah, that's right, bitches. No, <laughs> no, but it, we we kind of liked it. We sort of rationalized allowing her to do that because on <laughs> our this you might get a kick out of this, but on Axis, not Axis Bold as Love. Are you experienced? Mm-hmm. The first Hendrix record. There was, there was a sticker like that, like a dis, a, a disclaimer, it, like saying like all, not it didn't have the same wording, not, but, but it was something similar. There's distortion on this record. Please be aware. Oh, and Dale showed that to me. Yeah, you're right. I forget what it says. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's like it's it's the same. I wish I could I, I could look it up, but that's the same basic idea, which is like you can't return this. You're buying this yeah, fully like, aware that. There's distortions on this record. <laughs> yeah, you, you you bought this sucker. You gotta you gotta deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong. Um, oh, I wish I could remember that, but no. I for especially for a band that you know, you know, from a guy living in Oakland, California, you guys had some something of a mysterious presence. So it just added to the mystique, as far as I was concerned. And then when I right when you hear that song, you're like, oh, they're talking about this one. Okay, but like, it was sort of like, wow, what does that mean? Like, is that just like what is that like a like a mission statement like what <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> right um 
I'm looking for that sticker now. I, know. But I, I, not, I am. I am too. It's terrible. <laughs> I, it's not. It's not showing up easily. Yeah, it's um, on. It's on one of those. Uh, you're listening to two guys searching for shit on the internet. <laughs> uh, I think I saw it on one of those, like you know, just record nerd groups or something. Somebody had just like posted or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I might even have it. My copy might even have it on it. But anyway, um, you know, anyway, that was our rationalization. It was like, well, they had it on their record. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna. What, what's gonna happen is I'm, I'm gonna like find it like the second the show's over. So. Well, whatever it's it's not a big yeah. deal uh future world that's a concept record yeah that was born when um we were on tour in germany and i remember we had a day off at um in lake constance which is like right at the border of it's in southern germany right at the border of switzerland mm-hmm. and um austria and it's a, one of the most beautiful places and this very picturesque lake that's right at the at the foot of the Alps. And I remember going out for a meal with our friend, Jonathan, who was doing our sound. And we had this long conversation and it was just kind of like, after a few beers, we were like concocting this idea for our next record. And it just kind of went from there. And we even like, we're like writing songs on tour, like on that's hard, man. Like, that's... well, like we go to sound check and we'd be so bored of like Playing doing the, the same thing over yeah. and over. Yeah. We were just like, <laughs> start working on Seb new stuff. Had this, yeah. yeah. Seb had this crazy box that he built, um, which contained, a he had a 606 Roland 606 drum machine and he had this crazy analog drum brain which we would trigger from the 606 and then oh, he had wow. okay he had all these like he had all these things like built into this box that made it such that we could like we were just like jam and sound checks and we would we started writing material for that album on tour and then we wrote a lot of the songs in my parents basement as well and then we we booked the time in the studio before we were really done writing the record, but somehow it came together really easily and pretty quickly. And we finished tracking it. At, the studio was in DC and our friend Jonathan did all the engineering. And then we had met James Murphy um, of LCD Sound System fame, which it wasn't a band even at that point. No, but and that was he had, Speed King, man. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. He had been playing, definitely been playing music, but we met him through, he was doing sound for Six Finger Satellite. And we'd yeah. done a big U.S. tour with them, and we'd become friends with James, and, and um, we liked his whole approach and his aesthetic. And so we booked time at his studio in New York, um, which was also just being built, and um sounds like a running thing we right? were the first session at this his studio was called plantain and it was in the lower east side or chelsea it was in chelsea and and um we showed up with all our tapes and literally it was the same deal it was like we'd sit in the control room and they were like putting the speakers in and, <laughs> and then we'd be like pardon can me we pardon compress- my reach yeah <laughs> yeah can, can we put a compressor on that track and then a guy would walk in with a compressor and like put it in the rack 
plug it in and then turn it on and then right right it was it was i'm not even exaggerating it was exactly like that like the paint was still drying right right it's about as fresh as you can get (laughs) yeah and but that record came out really well I, i mean there there's things that are are weird about that record that in hindsight we we wish that we wish that they'd had like a few days to troubleshoot the studio because for instance, there was one channel on their mixing board uh-huh. that even when the fader was all the way down, you, it wasn't off. And it just oh, happened that so you, was, get to, you get a little like bleed in. Yeah, there was that? leakage and okay. we wanted to fade. We, there was a track that we'd recorded that we wanted to fade from zero, but we couldn't do that because that track was the channel on the board was broken. It was like, but that's on the record. That's just how it is. Is that it's on like, the, is okay. that on the uh, is it televisionized? No, it's on. It's on the last track on this album. Oh yeah, you know um, what? And I, I, I know it because I actually recently, uh, well, actually recently played that record, but I played it loud, and I never noticed mm-hmm. until I played loud and until I played it in headphones. Like if you played a regular volume, you don't really think I'd be like listening to it. Like, yeah, yeah, you can hear it all all that shit on headphones. Yeah, definitely. But I, th- I mean, you know, at the time it was bumming us out, but in hindsight, it's like, <laughs> right. oh, it's, it is what it is. If we were to remix it now, I think it would just sound weird. Yeah, people would be like, hey, where'd the thing go? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with a, with an album like that, do you, you know, you've got you've got a you've got a title track on there, right? Like you've got like a mm-hmm. kind of like. A, a clear ethos and statement like what at what point were you like okay we're doing this like this is the thing like did you have like some of the songs sort of mapped out beforehand did, did the concept feed the creativity <sighs> i mean i know it's, I a, think it's a ways it's, yeah, back i, I think, know I, sorry <laughs> i think i know it's okay i think that we were on a real roll at that point and we had just introduced the vocoder and that was like a really like that su- we like we had a real like rush of inspiration it was like suddenly we have a we're a, we have another instrument in the band and it's much easier to write songs now because we have this it's like it was a revelation it was like okay yeah it's now like- we can write like not pop songs but it's like it just became we moved away from the whole instrumental thing like the surveillance was like the real di- total distillation of that. And then future world was like blowing the doors open. And suddenly there's this whole universe of music we could write. Right. So, I mean, did you, did you, did you ever ha- think of it as like, Oh, this is an instrumental band or is it more just like, Oh no, these are the tools in the toolbox right now. And like, we're not going to limit limit to that. And I bring that up because, you know, post, uh, Post future world, you know, like you start introducing um, vocals that are not robot vocals, too, right? You know, like like Redline and stuff, and it works, and it doesn't seem like it's out of source. You guys are uncomfortable with it or anything along those lines, um, right? What what was the thought process with that? Like, did you did you ever? Because um, I know you guys kind of all come from a rock and roll background, you know, punk rock rock. Well, roll. I don't. I think that um, Transium's always been a band that has. We like, we have like two, there's like the super logical side and then the super impulsive side. And um, when it comes to writing music, we would never stop ourselves from trying something. 
because we we don't we don't like to talk ourselves out of trying something just because we've decided that we're not going to do that. And like you can see that throughout our catalog, it's like kind of scattered all over the place. Um, and so, I and and also we're incredibly reactionary. And I think that there may have been a point between the surveillance and future world where we were we. It's possible that we were even reacting against what you done. Before. The people <laughs> had pigeonholed us as an instrumental band, and we're right. like, "Fuck that." Who says we're an instrumental band? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's my memory, um, or I think that that's. I you know I would love to hear what Nate or Seb would say, but I think that that's probably well, sure, accurate. and and, that, and that's uh, you know that that's that's a parallax view situation, Rashomon effect, I suppose is the better, <laughs> <laughs> the more esoteric uh, and and film nerdy uh, way to describe it. But okay, so then. <clears throat> Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, but with Future World, like, <clears throat> it's very much a concept record. Like, much in in this in the style of, uh, <laughs> you know, more more uh, man machine or radioactivity than Operation Mindcrime. You know, like it's. <laughs> Ooh, I like that reference. <laughs> I like that reference. Um, yeah, I mean, we were obsessed with Kraftwerk, that's for sure. Um, but we're not. Um, yeah, we we're not afraid of of like the cheesiness of Prague and that you know concept records. That's that's super Prague. Tr- yeah, that, that's about as, as hand in hand with Prague, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So then, Redline again comes out. I think about about the year after that, you're still in that you know that that streak of just CCR style. You know, crank, cranking these cranking these out. Uh, that's the one. Um, <laughs> one of the songs is like a like a Windows startup sound kind of like stretched out. Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the opening track of uh, the first one. Yeah, uh, first step. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the record where anything goes. That was the whole rule. Yeah, because like, there's that kind of Melvinsy sounding one. There's uh, the Pulitzer one. Um, it's all it's over. All the place. Of, it's like a little bit of everything you guys do, and then some kind of. Uh, some stuff that you hadn't done before, because I mean, like play in the summer, like I mentioned, is a, uh, you know, that there's there's no robot vocals hiding out there. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. We that's where we un unmasked ourselves and sang just naked vocals, like like any other band. Yeah. Hopefully, and that again, not was like another, his taking uh, the, the makeup off, but uh, you know, a, a, re- a reveal nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So that was another. That was a, a a real creative period for us because we we built our own studio um, in DC, and we that was where we were like really using it. Like we just go there every day and and lay down whatever, and eventually we had enough material to put out a record. Yeah, and it's a—I mean, it's a good one. It's a long one. I mean, there's a lot. They can tell there's a lot of tunes on there, you know. And it's—it's just like it's like right at that. um, It's right at that ending part of, you know. I often talk about the CD era of just like how like records started getting like really long, (laughs) just like ridiculously long. (laughs) Yeah, we—that was the goal. We were like, okay, the 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 time limit for a CD is seventy three minutes. Right. (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna turn in seventy three minutes of music. (laughs) 
that was really like how how we like decided basically like what made the cut. It was like seventy three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, mission, mission we probably could have made it sixty minutes, but that's what it is. It uh, is what it know. is. It's important to have goals, <laughs> goals and challenges. Yeah. Uh, so then that harkens back to oh, so I'm sorry. Any any other special remembrances from the red line time period? Obviously, that's we kind of anything past. goes. That was the real rule. Okay. Uh, we talked about it earlier, and I kind of moved away from it. Um, TA, that's a that was the that was that was the one that. Again, my friend, my, my friend pointed. Is this the same band? I was like, yeah, it's the same, it's the same <laughs> band, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a departure, and that was like, um, we we were trying to challenge ourselves to make a pop record, and that's like the most demented yeah. pop record you'll ever hear. But, um. That was like what we wanted to do at the time, and um, it's, you, you it's, hadn't really it's, done that before. I mean, it always was like no. even, there would be like poppy songs, but there would be like, oh, does this weird raucous thing, or like there's this bizarre other thing that happens in there, and those were just yeah, we're we were never really that we we could never stay focused on the pop element for long enough, and there's enough weird songs on it that it kind of disrupts that pop. You know the real pure pop record. Yeah, how do you how but, do you um, how how do you like get to like a song like Party Station? You know, like how do, where does that, where does that come out of? Like, does it? <laughs> That's a good question. I think that was that was also a point where Seb and and Nate started doing a lot of writing together, and I think they were they. I've always been like leaning more towards the rock side, and they they were always wanting to be more on the synth side. Mm, gotcha. And, and um, I think that they, like I recently found a bunch of demos for that album for TA where it was just Nate and Seb. And I think it was like, I was going on tour with golden and they were at home writing music for the new trans am record. And um, so a lot of the songs were actually written by Nate and Seb. And I came home and I was like, these sound cool and I'll write some guitar to this, but yeah, yeah. I had less, I had less input in maybe like compared to other Trans Am records that, that record. It had less have, of rockest tendencies maybe because of yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't trying to force my rock agenda on them. <laughs> the extreme rock agenda. <laughs> <laughs> So then, all right, then then we're and and we're into the bush years here at this point. I'm trying to personally place it. Uh, Liberation comes out, and that and that's sort of like, oh, it's 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 the political our one. protest record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, gonna, I, and for for those only listening on the podcast, I made like a face when I when I did that. When I, but <laughs> but it is, and it was it was something where, and again. It's hard to contextualize this, but it was like, oh, that's a pretty wow, Trans Am. Like they, it's a th- they made like a protest record. I was like, what Trans Am did? Really? Right. I know it's hard to picture us as a political band, but it was in the thick of all of the stuff that was going on. The Bush. <sighs> oh, it was like we were just in the mi- like in the middle of all of that in D.C. and and we were just so um, scandalized that no one else was was really speaking up. Yeah. And um, so we took it upon ourselves. We were just like, well, fuck it. We're going to, we're going to make a a record protest record and, you know, make a stink at least like, you know, what, whatever we can do. Yeah. Really? No, there were so few records that came out at that time with like, 
Dixie Chicks and Trans Am. I don't know. It was, yeah. Um, I mean, like, I mean, Garofalo was on new shows because they, you know, like, she was like the, the anti. The anti-war voice, I mean, and, and and we, uh, I mean, that's you and her surveillance. The replicator record came out at the same time, and everyone called it like super paranoid. And then it's like, oh, like a year later, it's like, oh no, like this is Patriot Act. Like, oh, everybody actually is under surveillance. It was like, yeah, that's, right. It's it wasn't all sci-fi, man. Like, <laughs> right. I know, and, and now every now everything's so much worse. It's kind of it's so crazy. it sounds adorable. Like the things that we were upset about back then. It's like, wow, really? Like that's that's. Mind blows blows the mind. Yeah, we're we're just an idiocracy now. I know. Oh my god. Actually, I would I would Jeez. trade you know who for Comancho. Actually, he actually seems like it somewhat would be somewhat of a decent dude. Uh, so anyway, so liberation, yeah. and that's when and we covered the the SEV thing uh, last time, so we don't need to labor that. But that's <laughs> that was sort of like the last vestiges of the the selling out argument. Uh, times, which is right, also hilarious to think about as people like kind of try to angle for three sixty deals and all that now. Oh yeah. Uh, so, sex change ends is one after that. Oh yeah, return to form. And uh, what's what's different? So that's like what uh, two thousand seven, somewhere around there, right? Um, yeah, that was that that was a um, one where we recorded half of it in New Zealand where Nate was living mm. and half, half of it in New York where Seb, I don't know if Seb was even living there yet. I think Seb was maybe living in London at the time. Um, but yeah, like I said, we were all around. living, <laughs> yeah, we were living in different places and got together. We got together after a little break and, um, felt good to be together and make, make music again. And, that one came together pretty easily, and we mixed it in San Francisco at Tiny Telephone. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I have fond memories about making that record. Um, that one has less of a theme, I would say. It I mean, doesn't the theme have the seems to be more like, here are some Trans Am songs. Is, is yeah, exactly. Not in a bad way, just... No, I, I agree. I think it... it um, doesn't suffer from not having a theme, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just, <laughs> just a Trans Am record. Then uh, the, the, the one after that has uh, one of, I think the, the funnier album titles, uh, thing. thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it really makes like, me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> yeah. Running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> flogging that one a, actually, flogging a dead horse. <laughs> that one is definitely, was a, a um a concept record because it started as a soundtrack for a science fiction movie that was what's that was never made. Really? Oh, it kind of looks like a it, it kind of looks like a soundtrack. The cover kind of looks like a, yeah. a soundtrack to something. Yeah. Yeah, that was the whole idea. Our friend Jeremy Schmidt, who plays keyboards in Black Mountain, who's also a great graphic designer, um, he's done a lot of the zombie album covers too. And Black Mountain album covers, but he we hired him to do the artwork for that record, and he, you know, he knew exactly what we were going. Yeah, for. it it it, <laughs> it looks like you. It looks like what you're going to be in for if you listen to the record. You know, like it's yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. Is, which is something to be said for that. <laughs> Dystopian future, like hellscape. Right, right. 
which as it turns out is 2020. So <laughs> soundtrack to 2020. Yeah. Except for the, except for the dystopia is much more mundane than any one of us could have realized. Yeah. Uh, so in the grand tradition of the, uh, you know, self-titled one, two, three, et cetera, et cetera. Then the one after that's uh volume X volume 10 which is volume 10 yes yes it was our our 10th record and um strangely that was a really contentious issue with our label really and bettina didn't want us to call it volume 10 because she thought it was confusing or like why is it volume x and we were like it's roman numerals (laughs) prod hello well first of all it's a roman numeral and then also it's our 10th album and also it's a Tip of the hat to Sabbath. Yeah. I don't know volume, if you've ever heard volume maybe four. Maybe you heard of this record called volume four. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, in the, but in the end we got our way cause Bettina, she's always artist first and it's their decision to make. So, um, well, and even like the record cover even kind of like almost was like an homage to, uh, what is it? The who record cover? Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a, uh, who's next? Yeah. I was gonna say my favorite who record, but I can't think of the name of it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and, at that point, if you think about the fact of, you know, the, the, the self, the fun self-awareness aspect of it, the fact that you call it volume 10, I think it's fantastic. But I mean, of course, I guess I'm the mm-hmm. target audience for that kind of BS. So you know, make it that way. <laughs> well, good. Can. I'm glad you appreciated that. <laughs> At least someone did. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was fun to make. Yeah. So did you, I mean, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's a good Trans Am record. Did, did you feel like that one kind of just hit at the wrong time? Or like, what was the... Well, I think it was a, It was probably like it hit at a time where we weren't that available. To, we were like past the point of doing like heavy touring. Yeah, you're not going to be going out for like four months or something to... Yeah. Mm, no, we couldn't do that kind of tour support or to support the record. And um, I mean, I do think like a band that a band that puts out that many records, even their big fans. Like, I mean, I remember like there was a certain point at which I lost track of how many Melvin's records. (laughs) What's this Melvin's record. It's like when a band's been around for that long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, Jesus Christ. I was actually going to cite the Melvin's as well. And it's like, I don't, I don't feel the least bit bad about it. It's like, no, I mean, and they've, they've eclipsed us many times over because they're, they've been around for a lot longer, but, but you know what I mean? It's like a band that's been around for decades. Yeah. It's like, it just, there's a point at which even, even fans don't know about your records. Well, and that works on multiple levels. I mean, I'm, there's, there's at least like three or four cosmic psychos record. I'm like, I, I, I haven't listened to that, but I know exactly what it sounds like. You know, like I don't, yeah, I don't need to, totally. it's, it's going to sound like, yeah. going to sound like the cosmic psychos is what's going to sound like. Right. It's okay. Probably doesn't right. have any ska tunes on it. You know, that's Right. going to do songs about drinking beer. It's, you know, cool. Got well, it. Well, <laughs> watch out for the next Trans Am record. It's going to be ska, all ska. <laughs> it's, it's, the ska it's the ska breakout record. <laughs> Future ska. <laughs> Future ska. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so then that, that comes up to something uh, I was very happy when you guys uh, named the the one most recent one, California hotel. Cause of course, like being oh, a yeah. long time Oakland guy, I was like, ah, that's <laughs> awesome. 
uh, and of course that is a real building and it's a, uh, if you, yeah. anytime you travel on the 580, uh, or even the 580 over to the 24, you see it and it's a, it's a yeah. really notable landmark. Uh, and of course. Yeah. And I remember when I told, I was playing with the once in future band guys at the time. Yeah. And I remember when I, I told them about the, <laughs> I told them the title and they were like, I can't believe that's been sitting in everyone's face no! for so long. And no, and no one's used that. Every band in the Bay Area has seen that building and that sign like a million times. And like, yeah, yeah no, and you guys, you guys picked it up. And I was like, I remember thinking like, good for them. That's awesome. Yeah. I know. It <laughs> makes perfect sense for Trans Am. Well then, yeah. And you also get to, you know, that, that little uh, tongue in cheek Eagles reference as well, which is, which is nice, you know, like that. Yeah. That's... We've, we've un- unashamed Eagles fans. That's for sure. So tell me about uh, California Hotel then, and that's that's about I, I can't remember. I think that one had not come out when we talked last, but it was like pretty close to coming out. I can't remember exactly. Maybe um, that one. We're working um, on it, I think. If I remember. Yeah, we, we that one again. It was like we're all living in different places, but getting together occasionally. We did that one at El Studio, um, and it we actually didn't. We thought it was just going to come out as an EP, but then Thrill Jockey decided to call it an LP. So it's our shortest LP, but, um, I guess it is kind of short. Yeah. Especially compared to like, you know, Redline. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Hey, there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's, I like, I, kn- I know I, I, I do like short records like Van Halen, 1984 and Kraftwerk, um, computer world are both under a half an hour. Slayer, rain and blood also okay. under half Then you just play it again. No problem. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one um, I thought came together really easily and really, that was a fun record to make. And that's the last one we've made. Um, you know, I, we've got some stuff in the pipeline, but it's not, it's not moving very quickly. So, well, again, when we get to the point of worrying about trans and discographies, I think we'll be in a, we'll be in a good spot. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to be partying pretty hard. <laughs> right, exactly. So then I I feel like I'd be remiss to let you go without talking a little more about Terry Gross cuz as a as a Bay Area person uh for you know most of my adult life I think it's such a it's an awesome confluence of like oh I would not necessarily think of those three dudes playing together but that's really cool. Uh Yeah, so- it was it started as um a recording project um, cause Donnie and I opened the studio and then Phil, um, started booking sessions there. Actually, Donnie was playing with Phil in a band called Peace Creep. Oh, I think when right. We, with, um, um, Christian. Christian. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Christian Triclops and Bottles and, and Skulls and all that. Yeah. Yep. And, um, they broke up and Donnie and Phil, it, it wasn't even like they approached me to start playing in their band, but we started jamming at El Studio as, as literally it was like a recording project. Like let's just get together and set up some mics and test this See out. What happens. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and we did that for like a year. We would just get together regularly and we'd record everything because we were doing it in a, playing in a studio. And then eventually over time it started to coalesce and we were like, okay, this is actually becoming something more than just this jam band. And um, we were, we started talking about, Hey, well maybe we should book a show. Hey, maybe we should have a name. 
and and actually the the name part was really funny because we we started compile we've compiled a list of names like everyone would just like throw these names on this we had a google doc and um no one could ever agree we were like never come to to an agreement and what we did was we booked um a weekend where we went up to our friend's house in point arena and we had like a vision quest and we we were like we're not leaving his house until we agreed on a name and terry gross was one of the one of the only names if not the only name that we all agreed on it's a pretty great band name i mean like that's pretty awesome i gotta say like it's it's, yeah that's another one i'm like oh that's good how come nobody else thought of that before them (laughs) that's <laughs> right. And uh, it goes over anyone who lives outside of the United States has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it totally goes over their heads. They're like, okay. Yeah, and that's something where uh, you know, that's that's okay. It's 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 you know, it's for the people that's for. Um it's a cool band. I got the uh the Valley King <clears throat> record. Oh good. And uh I really enjoy it. I'm I'm eager to hear hear more from that band and um you know whatever whatever you guys got coming up that's um that's something that you certainly have a home here to talk about hint hint uh and yeah well when when it does come out we should plan a um a, something maybe with becker that'd be awesome yeah I, I, it'd be it'd be great to have uh to have phil on he's a that's that's another guy that he's had a He's done a lot of cool shit, and like most people wouldn't necessarily know, but like uh, he's done a lot of cool. Oh shit. yeah, he's he's an in- incredibly good um, recording engineer. Uh, Phil, it's been great having you on. Uh, thanks so much for coming back. I uh, really appreciate you. Whenever I have folks on these days, so developed uh, I don't know about four years ago. Something I always ask people as the last question: uh, Why do you do what you do? I just love making music. I don't know what else to say. It it keeps me happy. It keeps me sane. That's that's as good a question as any. Phil, thanks so much for your time, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Conan. Nice to see you. Stay safe. Yeah, you too. All the best. And there he goes. Mr. Phil Becker. Oh, Phil Manley. Jesus Christ. I mean, we were just talking about Phil Becker. That's why it was on my mind. Uh, yeah. Trans Am, baby. Let's listen to a song. Uh, Here's some future world for you.
Trans Am. Television Eyes. That's a little song called Television Eyes for y'all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a, um... It's been a good time. That, that's on the Future World Record. You can get that, uh... Here and now because it is the future. So you can get the Future World Record. So that's lucky thing that it's the future now. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to get that record. Turns out it's only available in the future. All of those things are lies. Anyway, hey, that's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Phil Manley, for coming on once more. Uh, it's been far too long. Love that dude. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff we didn't even get into, yeah. but we got into a lot of stuff, and uh, I feel uh, feel pretty good about it. Hope you enjoyed uh, it as well. been listening to Conan Trump's Protonic Reversal and we thank you for it. This show airs on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com Say yes to Nope. Music on Music Ops coming up. RadioNeutron.com for the archives. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. This show airs on radionope.com. Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Signing off, Mr. and Mrs. America. Podcast at radioneutron.com or protonicommercial.com or wherever you find your podcasts. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. I've got 50,000 watts of power. If you want to get the episode sooner, patreon.com slash protonicreversal. One dollar a month gets you everything you need the uh the average cost is like four cents or something along those lines but but the show's always free thanks for liking the shows and spreading around and all now, that stuff out on stay safe out there raise your fist up got my radio but take it easy
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, Can you hear me now? 